0: Good morning, everyone. I'm proud to present our second health technology innovation podcast on social media and healthcare. And this would be our first 2021 podcast. A program is hosted by the Montefiore Einstein Innovation Biodesign Training Program. Today, I would like to introduce Dr. Hina Talib to a podcast to discuss this topic. Dr. Talib is an associate professor of Pediatrics and Obstetrics and Gynecology and Women's Health at Montefiore Einstein. She's the program director of a postdoctoral fellowship in adolescent medicine. Dr. Talib is also the medical director of the Children's Hospital at Montefiore's sixth floor unit. She serves as associate editor of the Journal of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. About a year ago, Dr. Talib launched an Instagram account, Teen Health Doc, which has reached nearly twenty-three thousand followers. This focuses on adolescent medicine with over 200 posts and all of them are really inspiring and educational with fun tips and care tools. Neither Dr. Talib nor I have any relevant relationships to disclose. Dr. Talib, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, I'm happy to be here.
0: Thank you. So before we begin discussing social media for healthcare, can you take a few moments and explain what social media involves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Social media has really just blossomed as a field and as the platforms have developed and grown over the past 10, 20 years. Um, So it encompasses so many different things, uh, anywhere from social networking where uh, different individuals can connect uh, in groups of people that they identify or in masses of people that they may not know so, places like Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, MySpace, uh, and even Twitter. And then there are more professional networking um, platforms like LinkedIn or Doximity that healthcare workers may be familiar with. Um, it can be used simply to media share in a one way uh, streak like YouTube, which is very, very popular. Um, and blogging, you know, people have their own blogs. There are a lot of places that publish blogs written by folks in healthcare, like Kevin MD is an extremely popular one. Um, but Twitter and Instagram are also somewhat considered short form blogs as well. And there are new ones now, too, uh, that are audio based. And so Clubhouse is the new kid on the block, and, and um, it's an audio based social media platform. And so it It there's so many different types of social media and there's so many different uses It really it really seems endless these days.
0: All right. Uh, That's pretty interesting. Um, Can you talk about different social media platforms and how each platform is different in terms of patient engagement and based on your experience, how can providers decide what platform to utilize.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, also um, hard to answer because the scope is just so big. So, for patients, for patient engagement, if that's the goal, um, you know, we already know that uh, adolescents and young adults and adults, for that matter, use the internet for health information. That is that is a fact, and that has been something that's grown steadily over the last ten years. And probably exponentially in this past last year, and I think that um, if if you're looking for patient engagement, the different, uh, pretty much all of the platforms that I just mentioned are places where patients may be present and may be seeking out health information. Um, but you know, certainly hospital blogs or blogs that uh, that you can curate and put out your own content might be ways that patients engage with your. Um, you know, either an individual healthcare provider or a healthcare systems health content, um, but increasingly now, you know, you, it's a rare, uh, in my case, a children's hospital or a rare health system that doesn't have a media platform presence in, you know, some of the giants like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and and so they're all they're all sort of present there, and they're present there because the patients are present there too and seeking out that health information.
0: Thank you. Can you talk about how well social media platforms have been adopted generally? Do patients seem to like them? And if so, which platform do you think is the most popular?
1: I think it depends on the age group and the user. So people often say that at this point, Facebook is more for grown-ups and um, and older folks and um, and so there seems to be this age divide a little bit, and and you know as each newer platform comes out, for example, TikTok, which we didn't mention before, but it is also a place where healthcare providers are putting out content, um, is targeted more for younger audiences. And so there's definitely an age-based divide, um, or I'm not not a divide is probably the wrong term, but a spectrum of where people fall in terms of what. Uh, the newer platforms are, and which ones kind of target themselves to younger audiences, um, and and so I think that the popularity does kind of change, uh, and different platforms do pivot uh, in different ways. And meaning, you know, for example, uh, given the popularity of TikTok, you see Instagram sort of trying to create their own space to have mini video sharing capabilities. But patients are everywhere. Patients are, are, you know, are across the spectrum are consuming this content. And um, it's hard to say which ones do the most, which ones are the most popular because it just depends on um, who, what kind of group of patient we're talking about, you know, on on Facebook. So again, I I work in pediatrics and mostly in adolescent health, but on Facebook, there are loads of uh, parenting groups or um, physician groups as well, physician parenting groups. Um, and so there are a lot of these these private groups. They're private in that you have to, um, somebody, a moderator decides who gets into the group and what the criteria are, um, but they can be quite large. And, and so these very, you know, large but private Facebook groups are a, a source and they, people kind of form them around different shared experiences. So you might have one for um, you know, patients with diabetes, you might have one for survivors of, of, of um, trauma in some way. So, the, I mean, it's, it's, again, innumerable for the number of Facebook groups that are out there that, that are patient-facing, um, some moderated by healthcare folks and some moderated by patients, um, by parents, uh, other people interested in the community and whatever that topic might be. Um, so, Facebook groups are, are certainly really, really popular. But as I said, um, you know, other folks are looking to just read kind of more long-form blogs of information, and they can find that at different healthcare providers' websites. Um, and so, it, it's hard to say which is the most popular, except to say that it it's a moving target. And um, and it is fun for me to sort of see where the where the tides are going um, and try to try to keep up. But it is an important thing for us to do to be to you know to to meet our patients where they are looking for information.
0: I totally agree. I I really think TikTok, uh, the spectrum age group, the social media for different spectrum of age group is pretty interesting. Like, have you mentioned Facebook is for the older generation. TikTok is more of younger, shorter. Um, What what do you think, uh, what would you follow more, TikTok or Facebook?
1: Um, you know, I'm, I consume health content as a patient myself, as a, as a person myself, um, as a mother. And I, I also provide that con that educational content on, on my Instagram account. So it, where do I get, you know, right now, I, I think, I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is also that we've been through. We are, we have been through and are still in this global pandemic. And so, you know, I think in, in, in ways like never before, folks are looking for timely, factual content um, related to something that you know was was out of everyone's control, um, and and so people look to you know local DOH departments have never been this followed before, but now but now people are paying attention to um, you know the platforms that that we are being told to pay attention to that provide accurate content like. Um, the World Health Organization, the CDC, and our local DOHs, and so I think those are, you know, clearly very popular. And I look to those. And Twitter is, um, if you want to talk about timely, Twitter is fast. It's a very, very fast-paced platform. And um, and so for things that um, that are evolving rapidly as our lives have been in the last year, I think a lot more people, um, especially healthcare workers. Uh, jumped in there to, to share content and um, to get content themselves. Um, and then I would say Facebook absolutely um, has been a place where different people in healthcare as well as patients have, have sought um, pandemic related information, um, whether it's always accurate or not is, is, is difficult. But, um, and then, you know, I would say Instagram and TikTok definitely have it as well. Um, and, and it is, again, it's just sort of like a shifting moving targeted the information is I think presented in a different way sometimes on Instagram and TikTok that may be appealing for people who are visual, um, or audit, you know, who like to hear, uh, an audio bite versus read, um, a short sentence. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's different ways of presenting information, but, um, but they all they all seem to be finding their niches in this last year.
0: Oh, thank you. I totally agree. the, so, uh, the pandemic has changed pe- people's interest on social on social media, and uh, yeah, uh, it it has been a long year. And uh, um, I totally agree how people have been like so much focused on social media to get uh, reliable news uh, these days. Um, So coming to the next question, uh, do you think healthcare providers seem to be jumping on the social media bandwagon? And if not, what are some reasons? um...
1: So I would say um, something interesting that I've seen, maybe two things that I've seen of what have pushed people who maybe were not social media um, uh, participants before the pandemic into it in the last year, One is um, for a sense of connection with other healthcare workers or folks supporting healthcare workers uh, going through this pandemic. And so, you know, to connect on a personal level, to connect on a professional level in terms of information sharing on how we are approaching COVID 19, what we're learning, you know, especially on Twitter, very fast paced, real time updates, very helpful there. Um, in Facebook groups, you know, people are were freely sharing protocols and, and articles and discussing things as they were happening um, in a way that was really aimed at, you know, how we can best serve our patients and keep ourselves educated. Um, professional societies, you know, use their platforms. I know I talked about hospital systems using their platforms and, and the CDC and the DOH, but Um, our professional societies as well, and all of our different specialties really jumped, leaned into using their platforms to also uh, help educate and keep updated all the folks that are, that, um, that participate with them. So number one was the connection. And um, number two, I think that there, um, people felt a real calling to, to jump into another sort of frontline. And that's this that's this other this other sort of battle of misinformation that is online. And I think it it really struck folks to the core and open eyes were opened about the extent of misinformation on social media um, when it came to health con- you know health content. And so in this year, when it when we were all sort of fighting the same fight against COVID-19, um, I think people were really inspired to to jump. Into social media and and say this is my lane and I am going to speak out when I you know see um, such such myths and untruths and and biases uh, borne out about you know basic science and um, and our science leaders and 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 all that and so. I think that those were two things that really jumped people into it. In terms of your other, the other half of your question, which is also important, reasons why you may not, as a healthcare provider, have jumped into. There are also many very valid and and um, I think very impactful reasons why one would hesitate to jump into social media. And the the most important there is is patient privacy. And and so I think folks, you know should take pause and should really understand what um, our HIPAA and what our, what their uh, institutional rules are for social media. So, um, but there's a lot of fear and it seems to be a hurdle of, you know, it's one more thing to have to look up as a healthcare provider and deal with and think about at a time when folks were pretty stretched. And so that was, a, I think uh, a, a good hurdle um, because if you aren't aware of your institution's social media policy, if you aren't comfortable or knowledgeable about protecting, you know, about what you can and cannot, or should or should not be safely posting online, then um, you know that that's something that that should be a barrier, actually. Um, and I think so. I think you know. I, I think time. I think the energy of of sort of once you're in it to keep um, keep. Uh, keep with it, because I think it, it, there is a perception that it takes a lot of time. And, and it does. For some people, though, it's what they do um, to unwind, it's what they do to connect. And so it, it, you know it, it can take a lot of time, but it also can be done Um, In a way that you have healthy boundaries with social media use, but for some that can be very challenging and they already know that they're overdoing it with social media, and they're already trying to cut down and so why jump into something new when, um, when they're already struggling with it. Um, Those are probably some of the I would say biggest reasons why I've seen people jump in and, and biggest reasons why I've seen people hesitate to jump in.
0: Uh, thank you so much. That sounds very interesting, especially where uh, you mentioned about the misinformation that's been spreading. And um, what do you think uh, would it, would make it more reliable for patients to be like, okay, look, this one I feel is one where I could rely on news. And because I, I know at the time of COVID-19, there were people were not sure which one to trust. So how do you build trust among your followers?
1: Uh, that's a great question, and you know I think a lot of folks in in media communications who who do health content have had to really think about that one and educate themselves about uh, about it. And I so you know number one is transparency, like to know who you're who you're following if it's a social media platform. So you've you know you've followed an account and then you're consuming whatever they're putting out, but to know. Who they are and know who their biases are, and the best way to know that you're not um, being misled is that these things should be very clear on their um, accounts. It should be very, it should not be something that's hidden. It should be something, or that you have to ask for. It should be something that they prominently display. You know, whether they speak for an organization or don't speak for an organization. Um, whether uh, you know, often people will will have their disclaimers up right there. Um, folks are not there to offer directed medical advice they're there to offer you know education and thought provoking um, and commentary and things like that um so I think and knowing knowing you know what training they have and what credentials they have is important so you know folks that lead with where they are board board certified and where they're not and where they are um, where they you know are sort of you um, expert where they have expertise in to be speaking on these topics um, so being very transparent with your credentials who you are who you've worked with who you can and cannot speak for and then what your biases are you know it's always really illuminating to follow folks who are able to very clearly state these are my biases um and so that's that you know when you see that that does in, uh, engender more trust in people that are following you but the problem is that not everybody thinks that way or thinks to look for those sorts of credentials or um, you know history of what they what the, who this person is um, before they jump in and, and click on whatever they're talking about. Um, and you know the click thing is important, right A lot of the social media thrives on interaction and engagement and that interaction and engagement as we know is is you know, negative misinformation travels faster than real information and negative and fear-based content moves, moves audiences. And so, and people, um, you know, when that's used in a, in a not thoughtful way, I mean, it's always not thoughtful to, to use it in that way, but um, it can, it can really, it can really do damage. And so, you know, I think one thing I talk about with adolescents and kind of teaching them digital citizenship and teaching them how to critically look at content that's online, whether it's you know um, news media or whether it's social media um, to be critical uh, and to learn those skills from a younger age when you're inter- when you start to interact online um, is very important and can go forward with you um, as you know as you age for sure. Um, so I hope that answers your question.
0: Yes that did. Thank you so much for answering that question. Uh, It seems to be an important question these days. Uh, So I've been following your posts, and they are really amazing and very educational. Please take us uh, through your journey to launching Teen Health Talk. What lessons can you pass to our listeners?
1: Yeah, so my story of jumping in to, so I've been a a user, I guess, of a personal user of uh, social media platforms to stay connected with family, um, especially having, being an immigrant, having family in all different parts of the world, like it, I've, I feel like I've come up with using social media. And so I was very comfortable with it, but I had never really given thought to having a professional social media presence until this pandemic. And um, as it was sort of unfolding, and as I was called to the front lines myself to, you know, provide COVID-19 care, and it was just Uh, It was obviously very rewarding, um, but also obviously a very difficult time. Um, I felt the beginnings of burnout, and I felt um, the distress that I think everybody was feeling at the time. And so I thought, well, you know what? This looks like a creative outlet. Um, I want to give it a try. And what I liked about it was being able to... What I liked about Instagram is that it didn't move as fast as Twitter, and so it, it was a little calmer for me. And because again, I was coming at it from a place of looking for something to be um, soothing at a, in a time that felt chaotic and, um, and a place that I could maybe do something good and maybe help somebody because I was hearing um, and I was realizing from my clinical work with patients that this was an, this was a really hard time for students, for teenagers. And, um, and then what I knew from science is that this was going to be a long ride and this was this was going to not necessarily resolve itself in the few weeks that some people might have thought it was going to back, you know, about a year ago. Um, and so I really wanted to try and help. I really wanted to try and connect. And I really wanted to see if I could, in, in doing that and, and spending some creative energy there, um, just feel a little bit, spark a little bit of a joy in myself and doing, you know, doing, doing medicine in a different way, um, very different way, because I had never really done um, professional social media before. So I had, I had a few months before I actually started a Twitter account and, um, and I liked it. I just did, I felt like I didn't have the time to, to always be on it. And again, it moves so fast. Um, and I still lean on Twitter here and there when I'm looking for sort of that really, really, really timely content. Um, but so my, that was sort of the journey of why I decided, well, Instagram is a little bit slower and it gives me—it's um, a microblog, so it—it's you know it's 300 words, which was just—it was—it was enough words for me to get a good thought out and to practice writing. Because my writing as a healthcare person and in academics for my whole career, I have um, been really mired in research writing and very stylized um, medical writing, and I, ha- I i hadn't really written creatively in a very long time, and so. Um, Those were some of the things that kind of pulled me into uh, having a professional doctor account in addition to, you know, fighting misinformation and and kind of just trying to help in a different way. Um, And then more and then specifically why, why Instagram? And then to your, the second part of your question about which lessons have I learned in the process? I was floored. I had no idea. Well, I had no idea. I, I don't think I could have conceived of what um, the what that energy putting what that energy that I put out there would would return to me. Um, and and so I'm very grateful for uh, having it as a creative outlet. It did help to write. It helped to. It served as a bit of a journal through some of the you know some of the peak surge times for us when things were looking really difficult in New York. Um, it 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 served as a place for me to to um, practice what I preach. So I you know I was able to say this is what you know this is this is what would help right now, and then I would I would sit with it and 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 practice it myself, which was really helpful for me. Um, and uh, so I think my lessons are really just um, being open to something new was very rewarding at a time when everything felt really uncertain. And so I know a lot of people picked up a lot of really fun hobbies in the last year. Um, and so this was my fun hobby that I picked up in the last year that added um, some novelty to my days. And I think that, that combats, um, uh, you know, the burnout that, that many people were feeling. Um, other lessons, I think I had to learn along the way. So I had not had previous media training um, I am going to be getting media training through the American Academy of Pediatrics in a few weeks, uh, but I had not previously had media training, and so it was a lot of learning by doing and, and seeing what other folks were doing and sharing, and connecting with other people who were doing this work. Um, and so I think social media is social, and you are if and I I am uh, I am a social person, but I I don't think I realized how many people I would meet through this platform i didn't realize the extent of so i thought it was just going to be kind of anonymous or not really personable in this way because it was you know but it really really you do you really do share a bit about yourself and you share you connect with other people in your field and for me it was connecting with um you know school counselors who are really having a hard time teachers Um, Of course, parents, uh, many grandparents who were supporting both their kids and their teenage um, grandchildren, uh, and then so many therapists that were interested in um, adolescent-specific content because they were seeing more adolescents than they had seen before and maybe hadn't been trained in that space. And and then I met other folks who do other interesting things for adolescents that I just wouldn't have been connected with. Um, And so being social and and sort of sending those messages out and i've heard this on twitter too from you know trainees that just saying that you it's it's a very it's a weird and easy access to form mentor relationships to people that you may you know if you went through academic channels um may take you many layers of reaching um but if you if you engage with you know leaders in your field or people that you admire by sharing their content, by liking their content, by making comments on their content, by sending them messages, you can actually form relationships. And I didn't, I had not realized that at all. And so I learned that in, you know, through the start and I, um, I find that to be a huge benefit. Um, lessons I learned about boundaries. So there's, you know, it's not, it's not my day job. It's not, um, it is definitely still something that, um, for me is something that I'm doing to explore. You know, a lot of people who are on social media, you want to know what their why is and different people have different whys. I'm sharing why I jumped into it, but, you know, for a lot of people, it's their business. And so a lot of healthcare providers have practices and they need to market their businesses and that's why they're there. And it's a very different why than why I'm there. But, um, and, and I think the whole, um, way you run your, your social media is different. Um, when you, uh, depending on what your why is so I, I learned to see through what other people's whys are I learned to see what their biases were I learned to see what their expertise was um, and and so I, I think I think just being open and being actual be, being actually social on these platforms was a lesson that I learned that was helpful as well.